Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. One garden basic we need to stress more on this podcast is this. To head off major plant problems, observe your garden. Retired college horticulture professor Debbie Flower talks about some of the mental exercises that she taught to her students in order to become better observational gardeners. Plus, we discuss growing avocado trees in marginal climates. And we have tips for moving giant pumpkins that just might be overtaking your backyard. It's all on episode 140 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. When it comes to Garden Basics, and that's the name of the show, obviously, uh, there is probably one really, really basic garden technique for ensuring that you have a successful garden. Debbie Flower is here, our favorite retired college horticultural professor, and Debbie, you said this back on episode 129 when we were talking about pot size, about the size of containers. You just threw this in as an aside. And you said, I taught introduction to horticulture for 25 years, and it's an introduction, and I don't expect them to know anything, meaning your students. So there's always a lot of questions. And what people, I think, need to learn to, to do is to observe. Yes, I'm a little embarrassed that I said I don't expect them to know anything. I expect them to, to have some, gain some information. I sure hope they have. Well, they come in to you in a raw state, though. They, they do, they, and you have to t take them where they come. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Well, it turns out you're not alone in your uh, beliefs of, uh, of observational success when it comes to garden. Uh, here is uh, Steve Zion, who was on a recent episode, and uh, we were talking about... Um, uh, I, b I believe that the subsubject turned into foliar feeding, and, and Steve had this to say. Another thing that I really like about foliar feeding is it gets you out in the garden and landscape, and so you're looking at your plants. And if you, you know, if you if you do this once a month, which is what I did commercially for my clients, I looked at the plants very carefully as I was spraying them, and if they didn't look quite right, I put my sprayer down and I went over there and looked at the leaves and examined the stems and looked for pest problems, looked for symptoms of disease. And that way you can, you know, often catch the problem before it gets to be a serious issue and you can deal with it if, uh, as necessary. Very good advice. Just keep looking while you're working and you'll yes. find something else to do in the garden that day. Yes. <laughs> yes. Steve and I disagree on the value of foliar feeding. I don't think it will ever harm the garden. I just don't think it does much to fertilize the plants, except in extreme situations. But he is absolutely right that anything that gets you out there looking at those plants is desirable. Not only will you necessarily find diseases and insects, but environmental issues uh, like something has changed and the plant's getting more light or less light or the, there's not enough water and it's wilting. Uh, plants that aren't getting enough water, if they were shiny, they lose their sheen. 
if they had deep colors, they start to lighten up. They become sometimes more blue, sometimes more yellow. Uh, and, and that, and, and then, and that can all happen before the plant actually wilts. And then, of course, it will wilt as, as we probably have all seen the wilting. But it's, uh, yes, it's a very, in pest management, I, one of the very first classes I brought in a lot of, sometimes it was bananas, sometimes it was peanuts, and I made each student take one. And they couldn't mark the banana or the peanut, but they, they could take notes they had to examine it. We think all bananas and all peanuts look alike, but there's, there are subtle differences. And then we'd do something else, and then we'd come back, and they all had to find their own banana and their own peanut. And and they could, because... Was, it, was this a peanut in a shell? A peanut in okay. a shell, okay. yes, okay. yes. A shelled peanut, yes, right. Uh, so it, it to try to show the power of observation. Mm. So I like to go out certainly once a week to do the whole yard, other sections, like the group of plants I have in pots outside the kitchen every other day at least, and look through them. Check for the one that's wilting or has is losing its leaves or has lost its sheen or has curled up leaves. Um, you need to look close, look at the stems, as Steve said, and you need to step back. To, to preface it all, really, you need to know what the plant looks like when it's healthy. So right. make sure you get that in your brain as well. I'm still thinking about bananas and peanuts. <laughs> but I think, wow, boy, if you're doing homeschooling, what a great little experiment to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And have your kids pick out their uh, their banana. <laughs> yes. Yes. Out of. Yes. So it's a it's a you can do it from afar. You can especially with trees. Uh, things like redwoods, which here in in the Sacramento region often get to a size where they can't keep themselves hydrated anymore. Mm -hmm. And so you, the problems are going to start up in the top of the plant or failure in a tree can start up high where the branches start to push against each other. And you'll notice that the branch is a little bit lower. I had a tree, a valley oak actually, that was this way. It was pruned extremely poorly because it was right under the power lines. It was probably a volunteer. I inherited it when I moved into the house. It was actually pruned into the letter T. And one day I went out and thought that these branches are lower over my head than they were another day. A few days later, it collapsed. Ooh. The whole plant collapsed. Yeah. So you can pick up. I didn't pick up fast enough on that one. Uh, so I lost the tree. But you can trust your senses is, is uh, something to consider, something to, to be confident with. When I worked, I would come home from work and get a, a beverage and change into comfortable clothes and then just walk the yard. It was a good decompression for me and it showed me the landscape. My neighbors on one side have wisteria on the fence and on another side grapes. Both of those are vines that will grab onto something nearby. I purposely did not plant right up against the fence. There's a, a, a pathway between them, but I go out, have to go out regularly because those vines will start to climb up the plants that are four feet away. They grow, vines grow towards shade, mm -hmm. and so they grow towards the plants that are nearby, and they start to climb them, and that's not beneficial for uh, my plants, so I, I have to cut them off at the fence line. So those are, you get to know what, where your problems are, and then you can uh, tend to them. 
That is also the strategy of one nursery owner who has a, a rather fabulous personal estate. And when he mm. comes home from work, he has a drink in one hand and his Felco number two pruning shears in the other. And he's just walking around thinking about the day at work or whatever. But when he sees something that's not right, the pruning shears go to work. Yes. Yes. I often forget. I put them in my back pocket, but I forget that they're there. I'm walking around in the house with pruning shears in my pocket. The other thing you can do and and is carry um, a marker and some wooden sticks. They don't have to be very big or very thick. They could even just be plant labels, although I find they get... Uh, lost too easily. So I use like one foot tall stakes that are just about an eighth of an inch thick and they have a little little point at the bottom. And if I think something should be moved, I'll say move this and to and I'll suggest the place. This right now is not the season to move, but this is when I see that it is in the wrong place. Uh, or add something here. Add something that's very dark evergreen here or add some color here. Um, or this is a wet spot, or this is a dry spot, and I will uh, mark things. You think you're going to remember those things, but no, you don't. You, no, you don't. No. Yeah. So uh, having some of those and putting them out is another good thing to do. And that's a very common piece of advice for people with uh, blackberries or raspberry plants: is to uh, maybe carry some uh, twisties with you or something, and to mark those, or some little white paint, and mark those branches, those berry branches that have fruited. Yeah. To remind you to. Re- move them yeah. come fall or winter. Right, because you're not necessarily going to remember that when it comes time. You also implied that having another set of eyes can help you out, and I think that's a great idea, where if you have company over, you know, take a walk through the garden, sometimes they'll see things that you don't see. Yes. I remember, I think it was last summer, you were over here, we were walking through the backyard, and you said, what's wrong with those pepper plants? And sure enough, and I had noticed it, some of the pepper plants were getting kind of tired looking <laughs> uh, they were sagging a little bit and I looked a little bit closer and the water valve was off mm-hmm. and it's a drip irrigation system so all I had to do is give it a quarter turn and it's back open but thank you for that yes, save the plants that happens to me too I have my vegetable garden on on a, a hose bib timer but it has it has a Y and I leave the valve open all the time and I use the little on off switches on the Y to, to control what's going to the vegetable garden and what's going to the hose. But if my husband goes out and uses the hose, out of habit, he often shuts off the valve. And I don't get, don't, he doesn't say anything. It's a habit. It, you know, it, I'm not faulting him. It just it just happens. But I'll go out and notice and then I have to turn it back on. The things you learn when you're married. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You get in the habit of doing. Yeah, we could do a whole show on that. Uh, but <laughs> but basically, yeah, uh, check uh, your water lines, not only for breaks in them, but just make sure yes. that, the, that there's water flow going yes, on. Yes. I uh, recently went out and thought, why is that plant wilting? It's on drip. The, I had had a, a timer failure. The, the hardwired on the wall timer failed. It just stopped working. So I had replaced that. Everything had hooked up. The timer was working fine. But this plant was still wilting. So I turned on the valve. And this is something you should do regularly as well, especially as your drip system ages or any irrigation system ages. And then walked around and used my ears and found three places where the the line was slit. I don't know what slit it, but anyway, it was slit. And so I had to go back and replace those parts of the tubing. 
Yeah, it's bad enough those garden gnomes are taking <laughs> off all the plant name tags from the plants and, and, and tossing them around. Now, think, now they're slitting the hoses. I think they were thirsty, you know? <laughs> yeah, they, yes. they wanted some, or hot, they wanted a shower. Well, that's another whole show we could do on squirrel-proofing your drip irrigation system. Or rat-proofing, yeah. Rat-proofing, yeah. yeah. Uh, but we won't. Observe. Get out there with your garden, and you know you're going to end up doing more than you intended to do. The, the hard part is remembering to do what you originally went out to the yard to yes, do. Yes, that's true. It's, it, sometimes <laughs> it gets pushed to the back of the list when you go out there and you see that there are other issues. So you might even just write it down in the house before you uh, set set foot in the backyard. Just write down what you intend to do, stick that piece of paper in your pocket, and then go outside. And then towards the end of the day, you'll remember, oh, yeah, what was that I was going to do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. And then you do that. Yep. Yes, I have lists in the house. Prune this, prune that, move this, move that. Yes. Yeah. Make lists. When you wake up in the middle of the night, write it down. Yeah. (laughs) Then you can get back to sleep and not worry about it. Yes. (laughs) All right. A successful garden is an observed garden. Yes, absolutely. So uh, take closer looks. Have people help you out on that as well. Mm -hmm. It's a garden basic. Mm -hmm. Debbie Flower, thanks so much. You're welcome, Fred. Smart Pots are the original award-winning fabric planter. They're sold worldwide. Smart Pots are proudly made 100% in the USA. Smart Pots are also BPA-free. There's no risk of chemicals leaching into the soil, your herbs, vegetables, and other edibles. That's why organic growers prefer Smart Pots. Smart Pots breathable fabric creates a healthy root structure for plants. Smart Pots come in a wide array of sizes, and they can be reused year after year. Speaking of the cold weather that's on the way, if a frost or freeze is in the forecast, moving your frost tender plants that are in the Smart Pots that have handles makes them even easier to move closer to the house for added warmth, or you could even move them inside for the winter. Visit smartpots.com fred for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight fabric containers. It's Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com fred for more info and that special Farmer Fred discount on your next Smart Pot purchase. Go to smartpots.com fred. We like to answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics Podcast. We bring in Debbie Flower to help us out. Debbie Flower, retired college horticultural professor. And this one we'll call All Gardening is Local and the Right Plant in the Right Place, Debbie. All righty. And this is from Doug, who lives in Auburn, California. Auburn is in our foothills. The altitude there is about, oh, 1,500, 2,000 feet, Mm -hmm. depending on which part of Auburn you live in. And, Doug, where you live is kind of a transition zone, I guess, really, depending on which side of Auburn you live on. Are you on the warm side or the cold side? uh, But A low spot or a high spot, too. Yeah. So, I think we're fairly safe to say Zone 9, USDA Zone 9 for that. But it could be Zone 8. Mm-hmm. Or 7, yeah. And Doug writes in and says, I enjoy your podcast growing in water troughs, and I'm growing avocado trees. I'm wondering if I can combine growing avocado trees with growing in water troughs. I think I have a good location in my yard for a couple of avocado trees, but it's really close to a couple of water lines from my well to my house. If I plant in the ground on a raised mound, will the avocado tree roots seek the buried water lines? If so, can I plant in a water trough with drain holes in the bottom of the trough? If not that, can I plant in a water trough with no additional drain holes in the bottom of the trough? 
My wife and I eat avocados all year long. They're really expensive, especially organic avocados. What do you suggest? Move to San Diego, (laughs) Doug. If you want year-round avocados. Doug, I got a question for you. I know you can't hear me. or You can hear me, but you can't respond. Doug, how many avocado trees are growing in your neighborhood? That would be the first thing I would do. If I move to an area and I get this hankering for growing something that I don't normally grow, I would look around and talk to my neighbors and see if it's growing here. Where's your sense of adventure? Fred? I know, I know. And, and here's a guy that plant me planted avocado trees. That were dead in the first year, but I had to try. Yes, you have to try. Yeah. I'm the same way. I have to try. Yeah. I, 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 yes. So I, I applaud Doug for, for wanting to try. And there are some cold tolerant avocados, typically the Mexican ones, the Stuart, the Zutano, the Bacon, the but gym. not the ones. I'm sorry? Jim. Jim? Jim. Oh, Jim. Jim. J-I-M. Hi, Jim. Hi, Jim. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I didn't know about that one. Um, But not the ones you find in the grocery store. These are typically going to be smaller fruits uh, and thinner skins. So that's one thing to consider. You're not going to get the avocados you're used to eating. As far as planting them in the ground and having them seek out the water line, that's not going to happen. Yeah, these aren't willow trees. Well, and roots don't seek water. Roots just grow very well where they're getting water and oxygen. If that pipe has a crack in it and mm-hmm. is leaking, then it's creating a wet place and the roots will grow into it. They will not seek it. It's the pipe's fault. Sorry, but it is. <laughs> All right. So, yes, you can plant them in the ground. Um, yes, you can plant them in a trough instead. I'm not sure how big they'll get. Avocados can get to be 20 feet tall. They will not get that big in a trough because they don't have the root system uh, 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 that they would have in the ground. And they are not as well insulated. The roots roots are actually the most sensitive portion of a plant to cold, and they will not be as well insulated in the container. So there may be a little more dieback in the winter. Mexican types of avocados can uh, take about 20 degrees cold. If you get colder than that, you're going to need to add heat in the winter, laying the cloth over the top of the plant, adding the light bulbs, that kind of thing. Uh, they, these avocados also, they have, uh, they, their stems, their trunks, typically sunburn. You're going to want to protect those from the light. So put some diluted one-to-one, uh, painted, uh, latex paint in a light color on the trunk. Interior latex. Interior latex. Yes, that's important. If you use exterior, then it'll suffocate the plant. They need wind protection. So that's something Mm -hmm. to consider. They also have mysterious moisture requirements in that the soil must be moist but well-drained. Yes. How do you do that? In a container, that's where you start adding uh, like lava rock to open it up. Something big that's not going to decompose. If you just use container soil, it will decompose. It'll Mm -hmm. get very tight and it'll hold lots of moisture and that will kill the plant. But definitely drain holes. Drain holes, right. Um, So the, the water troughs have typically one big drain hole because they're water troughs and you need to be emptied and cleaned. That and it's on the side, though. And it's on the side. Mm-hmm. So drilling some extra holes across mm-hmm. the bottom would be a thing to do. 
Yep. Mm -hmm. And then raise it off the ground so that that trough is not in contact with the ground. And even though troughs, the bottom of a trough may have a half inch clearance from the ground, that's pretty darn close and soil can build up to it. And if those roots sense that, hey, just outside this hole, there's more soil, let's go. Right. You just clogged up your holes. Right. So you want to lay it up on something higher. Yeah. Yeah. So on two by fours or bricks or something, just to get a little bit more clearance. I think to try, the putting it in the soil is, is your best bet. Growing in containers is always more difficult, more takes more human interaction, more checking it. Mm-hmm. Does it need fertilizer? They're pretty heavy feeders. They're pretty heavy nitrogen feeders, so you have to water, uh, fertilize them pretty regularly. Um, that's harder. They'll be even need even more in a container. Uh, check their moisture. Uh, check the temperature of the media, that kind of thing. And then the media breaking down and holding too much moisture is another problem. I would also suggest uh, that you uh, head to a local nursery, Doug, and ask the uh, nursery people who work there, or the old timers, uh, ask them, do you know anybody growing uh, avocados up here? If they don't laugh, then go ahead, try it. <laughs> or try it anyway. Well, yeah. Just know that it may not work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and it'll take several years. If it's successful, you live through the, it lives through the winter, it'll take several years, three to five years before you'll get any fruit. The areas where I have seen avocados growing successfully in marginal climates for avocados, and the Sacramento area is really marginal. It's not a commercial crop here. No, it's not. And that's an indication that it is marginal. Yeah. Uh, commercially, uh, avocados grown in California are grown basically along the coast in central and southern California, not much inland, although they are developing varieties for the Inland Valley. They haven't hit the market yet, and they're going to be tied up in agriculture for a while before they get to the home market. But th- down the road, I could see a, a cold-tolerant, heat-tolerant uh, avocado plant for a wider area. And, and that's coming down the pike. But uh, so you're saying that they're growing where where the climate is very mild. Winters are warm and summers are cool. Um, there's humidity. There's not much change from day to day. It's where the, it very seldom gets above 90 during the day in the summertime. Very seldom drops below 40 in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. And where I have seen avocado trees grown successfully in marginal climates, they have, like you mentioned, a lot of buffering situations around them. Usually they're near a west or south-facing wall. They're on or near a concrete patio that reflects heat back mm-hmm. up into it in the winter time. And there's some sort of windbreak, too, to protect them from mm-hmm. dry winds, especially. Mm-hmm. And you, you may want to grow more than one variety to help in pollination, although that is in dispute now. It is, yeah. Because I, I've talked with uh, commercial growers who say, listen, if you're trying to grow an avocado tree where you live, it's going to be so stressed. It's going to put out both the A flower and the B flower that it needs for effective po- mm-hmm. uh, pollination. Mm-hmm. Eh, go ahead, try, whatever. Try and let us know. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, drop by the nursery. Go to Isley's Nursery there in Auburn, Doug, and, and talk to them. Which is now Green Acres. It's, I don't know what the official name of it is now. Isley by Green Acres, maybe. Something, something like that. along those lines. But uh, talk to yes. the Isleys. Yes, talk to the Isleys. They're not very knowledgeable people. Yes. And, uh, and see if they bite their tongue. <laughs> All right. All right, Doug. Good luck with that, Debbie. Thanks for the avocado yeah, info. My pleasure.
Because there are so many demands on your time these days, well, I like to keep the Garden Basics podcast to under 30 minutes. But still, there's a lot more to tackle on all the garden subjects we bring up on the podcast. So for that and a lot more, we're starting up the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter. It'll be on Substack. It'll go into more details about what you just heard on the latest podcast. So yes, it will be a good supplement for the Garden Basics podcast, but there'll be a lot more garden-related material and, uh, you know, probably pictures of my dogs and cats as well. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter. It's on Substack. And best of all, it's free. There's a link in today's show notes, or just go to Substack.com and do a search for The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred. That's Substack.com, The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter. Did I tell you it's free? It's free. If you're growing giant pumpkins, there's a lot of things to consider. Sometimes you overlook it until it's too late. Debbie Flower, our favorite retired college horticultural professor, talks about an experiment they did with one of their college classes that, uh, well, shall we say, it got a little heavy. If you're going to grow a giant pumpkin, think about how you're going to move it once it gets big. <laughs> yes. Just, just, just a heads up. Having been there, done that, it's like, uh-oh, now what do we do? So, yeah. Well, I, I guess that comes back then to putting your giant pumpkin garden into a location that you can easily drive a pickup truck to. And then yes. as that pumpkin forms, put it on a pallet. Yes. And, and then and, get a and, forklift. And then get a forklift. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure that's how they have to handle them. Ours was only 250 or 275 pounds, but it was still a surprise. <laughs> We hadn't thought ahead as that far. What do we do now? Yeah, uh, pallets and pickups and, and football teams. That's all you need. Mm-hmm. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's brought to you by Smart Pots. Garden Basics is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Google, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and Pocket Casts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.